0: All right, how's it going? My name's Matt Bart and you listen to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast, the show where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavors. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Hope you enjoy it. If you're a new listener, welcome. Reckon I picked up a few over the last couple of weeks. Um the intros can be quite long. I'm just gonna warn you now, although this one's not gonna be that long. Um, but yeah, it's a common thing that new listeners mention. So uh my show, my rules, deal with it. Anyway, I've got the band back together, Yeah, myself and Owen Tozer are on our first post-COVID trip, and what a joyous, life-affirming experience it's been. So we're in Jackson Hole, which is where I'm recording this, as it goes, for the first leg of this year's Natural Selection Tour, as regular listeners will know. I've been pretty involved in this event, firstly as a member of the selection committee, helping to choose the riders. And then, rather unexpectedly, it must be said, as part of the announcing team, and I've been commentating on this stop of the tour on the live broadcast. Um, I'm going to talk more about that in this episode's housekeeping corner at the end. Um, But yeah, Owen also got an invite to this event as a member of the photography team, which meant that the first omnibus in almost three years was a goer. So we've been getting right stuck in, I mean basically we're in the thick of the US snowboarding scene and what a privilege and a unique experience it's been and obviously we've taken advantage of that fact to record a load of episodes starting with this conversation with my friend and fellow Natural Selection announcer Tom T-Bird Monterosso. Now we'd been chatting about recording this episode all week and in the end decided to do it in the immediate aftermath of the final of the Jackson leg of Natural Selection. Um, and we did record this one in the immediate post show afterglow of our live broadcast of the event. So, as you're going to hear, spirits were high, a combination of that and also the fact that we were three Pacificos deep. Um, so, yeah, as me and Tom have discovered this week, we really, really like hanging out and we really like talking to each other. Um, so, we grabbed a few beers, set the tape rolling, and recorded this quick fire episode. We discussed the event, of course, um, because it had finished a couple of hours when we recorded this one. And then we segued into Tom's life and career in snowboarding. I'm not gonna say too much more than that, um, because like I say, I'll be back at the end with a special housekeeping corner with some thoughts on the event and the whole experience. In the meantime, here's me and T-Bird. Enjoy. As we go, sure, of course. Cheers, cheers, my man. Um, there we well, go. I'll, s-
1: I'll start this off by saying it was an actual, absolute honor to work with you and to see you operate and to see you doing what you do when you're not here working like this podcast. And it's just incredible. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's well,
0: while, while we're on the kind of this tip, thanks for all the help because you know, I'm gonna be honest, like when. Liam asked me to do it I was definitely like really yeah 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 <laughs> um and he's like "It he was." he's like you'll be all right you, you can do it and I was like oh fucking hell all right and it was one of them on it where you can't really turn it down and equally I was like yeah I'm gonna be really out of my comfort zone and I was like well that's kind of good that's a good thing you know but from day one and you sent me that really nice message which was brilliant that really helped me because I was a bit like, fuck, you know, we're going to be able to do this. Um, and everyone's just been like super fucking helpful and, and nice, really, and encouraging. So, yeah, it really helps. So thanks, man.
1: Yeah, I mean, our crew gelled. And I, I <clears throat> in the announcing world, I kind of take my cues from, you know, the Preston Strouts and the Salema Massachelas and the Jack Matronis of the world who yeah. I've worked with extensively because, you know, announcing isn't my passion as much as I don't want to surprise people or sound jaded. I just, it's never really something that I like aspired to be is an announcer, but I also do kind of recognize that I'm, that I'm pretty good at it. And so I can be a little bit self-deprecating, um, to where, you know, I get hit up for an an announcing job and I I feel like I'm not worthy either, but then you work with you know, a Salama or a Jack or a Preston or a Henry Jackson. Yeah. And, and they have a lot of experience doing it, and they they'll text you throughout and text you after. You killed it. You crushed it. And yeah. that that is the motivation that I need to hear to be like, okay, cool. Maybe I maybe I did okay. You know. Um, but I never ever go back and listen to them ever. N- no, I don't know. I do you?
0: No. What? Uh, well, these occasionally. Um, but I, w- I probably won't be watching that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I, I just, I don't like listening to the sound of my own voice, as weird as that sounds. And yeah. <clears throat> I get a little bit of, you know, anxiety when I hear it. So I just do it. I do it to the best of my ability. I study up. I try to do a good job and I just kind of move on yeah. to
0: the next one. I, actually, having said that, I think I probably will watch it just, just to sort of understand how I did really and um, and try and learn a little bit. I might just get you to move your hand like away from the, the oh, actual yeah. join. Yeah, um, there we go. I'll, um, cause
1: I'll, I'll tell you right now, you did phenomenal. Thank you, you. You have a measured tone and a cadence that no one else in the broadcast booth did. It's like a very, very even keel way of approaching it that fit in really well with the whole crew.
0: Yeah, I thought it was already complimentary. Yeah. Yeah, but enough about how great we are. <laughs> no, in yeah, sorry. No, not at all man. Like um so how how do you feel about today? Cuz it was let's be honest. Like you know, we're what it's 4:30. So yep. we're like 2 hours after the event and we kind of planned that we'd do this as a little of a post-event debrief for, for for the podcast and also for us as well. Yeah. Um over a couple of beers and it it was brutal, wasn't it? I mean, let's be honest. Like both days were pretty brutal. Like I I did the women on day 1, which was obviously a very challenging day for for all the competitors and then today was it was brutal the first runs were significantly better and where
1: i felt my first um you know the first part of relief that i felt is was after the first runs in the in the first round of the men <clears throat> where all of them unanimously were like oh it's so much better yeah than, than day one yeah you're like okay cool this is working, you know, but as it goes in a contest like natural selection, it progressively, the snow gets more compromised. Um, and, uh, my main takeaway from it, it's only been a couple hours is that I have a new respect for all 24 riders. I will never look at them the same way again for what they accomplished out there. And that's what I'm taking away from it. Right. The natural selection tour is, um, you know, the, the thesis, the ideology behind it is Mother Nature provides and we just do what we, we can with it. Yeah. And unfortunately, Mother Nature didn't provide conditions like it did last year. But yet the level of riding was unaffected by that. That and, was and the
0: thing that I was the most impressed by. Yeah. The, 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 watching the, the riders like dial it in. Because we kept saying on the broadcast, you know, we kept talking about the speed. We kept talking about, and we kept talking about these little, variables in the run you know we're talking about the ability to just speed like board control we talked about like sage and uh jared's ability to like basically ride out of these landings like all these details that weren't actually the tricks themselves right um and it was actually awe-inspiring watching everybody dial into that and in a way like i said on the broadcast more impressive than last year when it's four foot fresh because because it was critical wasn't it you know a lot of a lot of the day so to actually do that and have the mentality to just keep up in the ante was yeah it was awe-inspiring really wasn't it
1: you could literally see the mindset shift at a certain point i can't quite pinpoint when that was but you could see the mentality shift to survive in advance yeah right today all eight riders on the on the men's side and four riders on the women's side they're going to bald face regardless but they wanted to show up and show out for Travis, and for Liam, and for Carter, and for Cersei, right? Like all of this manpower, human power that's gone into this tour, they recognize that, and they back it until today. Solidified for me, the the fact that they're behind this thing, right, a hundred percent. And it was it was really cool. Um, at times a little scary. Yeah, you're just like I really hope. No one gets broke off, yeah. and and we escaped, and everyone's good, and uh, we're going to Baldface, and we're going to be swimming in pow, and yeah. then we're going to go to AK, and hopefully we're going to be swimming in pow, and it's just it is what it is, it it happened, and it was special, and it was magical in a different way than it was last year. Yeah, yeah,
0: and it's interesting what you say, isn't it, about like how how behind it they are? Because I think one of the critical events this week was, God, it feels like days ago, but it was last night, wasn't it? <laughs> the riders meeting. Yeah um that that was really important wasn't it it was because obviously the role that you've got with natural selection you know you announced but you've you've got i mean what is the actual role like you've got this kind of linchpin role you know rider liaison like you know you do all the content you you're involved across the board right right um and we it's not a perfect picture because it's such a it's such a huge organization and it's so ambitious and there have been a few communication issues like across the board which i think is natural um but that meeting last night, watching everybody kind of thrash out something we talked about, like watching who among the riders are the leaders that are going to lead that conversation. Yep. And and watching how everybody involved reached the understanding of what they were trying to achieve was, I think, really a really important part of the whole story of this tour, really.
1: Yeah, it really was. And, and I was talking extensively to Liam about it uh, the other night kind of after we had that meeting. And I was just like, listen, man, there's not a single snowboard contest in the world today where the riders trust the organizers enough to get them a meeting in in the middle of the event and say, hey, we want to hash some things out. We need a little bit of clarity. Um, if it was any other governing body, be it FIS or a Dutor, tour, th- they would just boycott. And they'd be like, nah, we're not backing this. And, yeah. and we're out, you know? And I was like that, right. That we have the riders trust and we, they have our ear. And if we listen to them and work with them to make this thing, what it could be, it's going to be the biggest thing in the history of snowboarding. And that that was my main takeaway from that.
0: Well, yeah. And we've been talking quite randomly a lot about leadership. Haven't we together over a few beers like this, this trip? Just yeah. because that's been a theme of some of the conversations that we've had, and yeah, I was quite impressed with the transparency, the accountability um, on all sides, really. You know, yeah. like the, the the kind of willingness to to admit, like when people had made mistakes or when people were wrong, to to achieve a common outcome, really. Yep. And
1: I'll I'll say like one of my one of my worst qualities personally is taking criticism. I take it very personally. Well, it's hard. It's hard. It's tough. It's tough to not let that um, settle in your chest and and make you lose sleep over it. Liam Griffin, the COO of National Selection Tour, the guy who hit me up after I got let go from Snowboarder Magazine and, and brought me into the fold, his best quality as a human, as a contest organizer, is that he can compartmentalize personal versus professional. He can take professional critique and break it down in his brain and say, I know this is nothing personal. Yeah, it's nothing to do with me as a person, yeah. Right, this is just something that needs to be fixed in a professional setting. and, And he's so fucking good at that. Yeah, I wish I had that skill. Well, that's
0: what he did at the start of that meeting, wasn't it? He just stuck his hand up and said, okay, this situation that's a problem this is my fault. I'm just going to put that out there right now.
1: And then fast forward two hours later yeah. and we had a solution Yeah, exactly. and everybody left and you could feel the weight of all of that pressure was alleviated. And, yeah. and Travis was there too. Yeah. And, and he was on the same page as Liam. So yeah. it's like everything's working, you know, and this thing is a work in progress and it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, but, even right now as a startup it's a smashing success it's yeah. the coolest thing to happen in snowboarding i i would say maybe since the inception of the x games yeah or in, in the or, late 90s maybe i don't know
0: yeah and and i think the vision that they have is only just becoming apparent really so yeah. it's going to be interesting yeah to see how far they can take it really because um that's something you know as somebody that's been involved with this but from a distance like last year I was kind of involved and I couldn't really get over it so it was all over zoom and like you know but actually coming here and seeing the scale of it and seeing how hard everyone's working and towards this common goal for like this vision of what competitive snowboarding can be yeah I'm I'm a bit like all right I kind of I kind of get it now and this oh, is yeah. this is a very long game isn't it that 100%. they're
1: playing 100% it's a long game and it's the ultimate goal of this thing <clears throat> is to get people to um, interact with the outdoors, right? They don't have to go do what Sage Kotzenberg or Elena Height did today. They just can go outside yeah, <laughs> and and scale it as you will. yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it's a long play. And I, I think it's going to change the landscape of our culture, which is something that Travis does frequently. It's yeah. like what his whole career has been about is yeah. defying the odds and doing the impossible and making it happen. And, <clears throat> I think I, I get a little bit annoying with, with the natural selection crew. Cause I constantly remind them, thank you for bringing me in. Like, thank I thought when I got let go from snowboarder magazine, I was like, this is the end of my career, right? You know, I was shooting for ride, uh, in the winter time and they called me and they were like, Hey, we're going to renew your contract and you can still shoot for us. But I was like, Hey, unless I, you know, diversify a little bit, this is, this isn't going to last forever. Um, and, uh, is
0: one this, of the- it's, sorry to interrupt you, but sure. is this where you, you came up with the plan A and plan B that you've yeah, been telling me of, about? Kind of. Cause yeah. like, cause it, cause that was interesting.
1: It kind of happened before that. So I was the editor of snowboarder magazine and <laughs> this sounds pretty crazy, uh, in terms of conflict of interest, but I was working at snowboarder magazine. Um, there's a long story about how I became the editor, but basically nine years into it, I became the editor. Pat promoted me. Um, and I got approached by Tanner McCarty at ride snowboards to be the staff photographer in the wintertime. So this is when I came up with plan a plan B. I was like, okay, plan a is snowboarder. I know that's not going to last forever. I'm going to shoot for ride, even though I'm the editor of snowboarder magazine and that's going to be my plan B. And Eventually snowboarder fell out and ride became my plan A. And then I kind of, uh, you know, Liam reached out to me and Travis reached out to me and asked me kind of what my bandwidth was. And I said, you know, the ride ride guys and gals are super cool with me doing additional side work. And so natural selection became my plan B. And so um, it's it's a constant effort to not get pushed out. Yeah. I know that sounds weird and and um a little bit uh what's the word i'm looking for not mortal but uh i don't know i'm a af- i'm very very afraid of being pushed out and forgotten in snowboarding because i just want to keep doing it so. As it,
0: as in as in like that's interesting so as in to stay relevant or like actually just to be involved
1: Less to stay relevant, more to be involved. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really care about my relevance. I'm not looking to.
0: It's not like a legacy thing, it's more like an involvement thing. Well, it's a passion thing, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah. Which is obviously always driven what you've always done. You right. know, like, and from what I can see about how you operate in this environment, like, it's all driven by this passion for for snowboarding and for the culture. So it's, so it's like, it's, it's kind of that, coming from that territory then.
1: It's 100% for that. I, ha- I had an interesting talk with Pat <clears throat> um, the other day because Pat is featured prominently in the Jake Burton documentary, Dear yeah. Rider. And, you know, Pat called me, or I called Pat, I'm sorry. And I was like, hey, man, you were great in that movie. You wove a great storyline. Like, you're so important to snowboarding. And um, Pat and I worked hand in hand for 13 years. I mean, we, we are best friends and we were coworkers and we hung out at the office and we hung out outside of the office. But when I got let go from Snowboarder, he had to move on. He, he just had to. Yeah. Um, and it's not that we fell out of touch, but we just didn't talk every day anymore. Uh, and I kind of started doing a little bit of freelance work that was outside of snowboarding. And so anyway, when I called Pat and told him, you know, how great he was in that film, he brought up an interesting point. He said, who's going to be that person in 20 years? Is it going to be you? And I was like, no, it's not going to be me. I know that for a fact.
0: But how can you know that? Isn't that the way that your career is going?
1: Yeah, but it's not, that's not my end goal. My end goal is to continue to aid the culture on the ground floor level. And when it's time for me to go, I'm just going to go i'm not I'm not looking to be a historian or someone that gets interviewed for documentaries twenty years down the road. I'm not thinking that far. I'm just trying to maintain my style of life and snowboard as much as I can and travel as much as I can and hang out with my friends and contribute to the snowboarding culture that's that's literally my the breadth of my um you know vision yeah
0: yeah so so this so this involvement. With natural selection now is 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 the vehicle currently to do that
1: yeah yeah and it's it's also ride snowboards too um yeah. shooting with them all winter long i'm in an interesting position where i was in anchorage alaska with jed anderson filming this you know month-long project uh shooting street stuff and then you know my next trip was coming to natural selection so so it's like I don't think there are a lot of people that are living both sides of that coin currently in snowboarding. Yeah. Right. And I, I constantly struggle with it because, you know, I'm trying to be accepted by the core and I'm also trying to be a part of the mainstream. Yeah. There is a little bit of like, uh,
0: conflict, maybe conflict
1: and concern that I have that I'm Maybe trying to please too many people. I don't know. No,
0: I, don't, I don't think so. Because I think... I mean, that's why I find it quite interesting what, you, what you're talking about, really. Because I think... Whether you like it or not, or whether you want that that position or not, like, that is... We need that. Like, you know, the cult, like the, the culture needs those bridging characters. And you mentioned someone like Henry, or, you know, we've got a friend like Ed Lee, somebody. You know, all the people that you've mentioned, like Salema, like... They they fulfil that role and and I don't think it's something that any of those people sought, right? Or, or like or Pat, I don't you know Pat didn't wake up on day one and be like right I'm going to be the guy on day rider did he you know like it's just in a way it almost gets foisted upon you because because you, you can do it that well and and be that bridge and right and and it is required
1: and maybe I don't realise that enough,
0: yeah I think to a degree well I, I it's just really interesting hearing you say that because I was a bit like. We kind of doing it. <laughs> I know, I know,
1: and I, I, I do. I constantly, I'm at conflict in my own head about it. Like,
0: why, but why are you in conflict about? It? I don't understand because because you don't see it as like a legitimate core thing.
1: Because I don't want, you know, what a core score is. I don't. <laughs> it's it's the core snowboarders that like I don't want them to think I'm lame or selling out, and I don't want the mainstream. Um, to think that I'm too core, so it's like a, a duality of opposites that I'm I'm trying to navigate, you know. Like, but really, what it comes down to is I just want to be a part of it all. Yeah, I want to go to Alaska, and I want to shoot uh, Natural Selection hanging out of a helicopter, and then I want to go to fucking Omaha, Nebraska, or Cleveland, Ohio, and I want to get a lens on, you know, Danimals or Cole Navin or Jed like I want to do it all. Yeah. And, and I, I want to shoot, you know, Scotty Stevens at the mountain hood Meadows park. Like I just can't get enough of all of it. And a lot of that comes from, uh, when I got into photography in like 2006, seven, um, I looked at Oli Gagnon and I looked at Easton and I looked at Andy Wright and it's the same approach that like a Bodie Merrill has to their snowboarding. Yeah, right. Where they don't want to be a pow guy and they don't want to be a street guy.
0: They want to be both. Andy's a really good kind of example of that, actually, isn't he? You know, Absolutely. as a role <clears throat> model, if you're going to try and navigate the industry in 100%. that way.
1: 100%. It's, it's taking nothing away from the photographers who documented our culture before street riding was really big. Yeah. But in my opinion, the greatest photographers in the history of snowboarding are... Andy Wright Ole Gagnon and Eastone and maybe that's just my generation but they can you know go on a street trip and document the culture in the streets and then they can go up and jump hang out of a heli and jump in with that crew and shoot uh, you know the, the heavyweights
0: in Haynes or Valdez but again y- y- you're kind of doing it <laughs> <laughs> right right right. exactly, then, exactly. so like there, there, you know there'll be people listening to this so they'll be like well hang on that's what he's doing you know like so is this and this but, is like podcast <clears throat> cliche bingo yeah. like but is this the dreaded imposter syndrome is this is this like you yes not feeling yes worthy 100%. It, even though you're actually doing it
1: well the reason i'm i'm not well it's not that I don't feel worthy of it. I, I, I know that I've put in the time and I've, I've earned the respect and I've gathered the, the connections and I have the network. It's that announcing came into play, too. Yeah. So, so it's
0: like... It feels like you think that's a bit whack almost. Like you, you know. Not
1: whack, but it's I wonder if I'm spreading myself too thin. So how I started was I was a writer. Right? Yeah, I wanted to be a writer, yeah, through and through, and still to my core, I am a writer, and I feel like that is the foundation of storytelling. So, <clears throat> I got this job at Snowboarder Magazine in 2006, and all I wanted to do was be editor. But at a certain point, I, I realized that it was kind of boring me a little right. bit, the the monotony of just writing, writing, writing. So I picked up a camera. And then I started shooting and I became passionate about both. And then Bridges got me into announcing. And so I started doing that too. And I became, I deal with a little bit of an identity crisis. You've heard the phrase, Jack of all trades, master of none, Yeah. right? If I were to go back in time, and I don't know the answer to this question, would I have rather just focused on writing and become the greatest writer in the history of snowboarding yeah. or photography no, I, and become the greatest photographer this or This is announcing. something me
0: and Owen talk about a lot. Yeah. You know, like how, like, because what you're talking about is like the nature of creativity and like the nature of being fulfilled by creativity. And I think, right. I think we're probably quite similar in so far as like, you know, you've got role models, we've all mm-hmm. got role models, we've all got creative role models and, you, and and there is a bit of a tendency to like look at those people and think like, well, they're successful because they only focused on one thing and because I've, because right. I'm, I think me and you are quite similar, you know, I do a lot of different things um, and also beat myself up with the same thought that you're talking about, which right. is like, what would have happened if i'd have only if i'd have actually just focused on one thing and dedicated all the energy that i've dedicated to all these different things into that one thing you know but i think the understanding that i've come to is like that's just not who i am you know i'm just yeah. i'm just not that person
1: i know and maybe i'm not too
0: and, and i'm a bit like well that's kind of fine you know what i mean like and in and in a, certainly the more grandiose creative ambitions that perhaps i've um you know harbored over the years like haven't come to fruition probably because of that um but then when you're younger and you have these ideas like they're often unrealistic but they're often just a vehicle for you to just do something and just Mm -hmm. do anything that'll get you in a position to do more things do you know what I mean like so I wonder if there's a bit of that going on with this
1: yeah no I think there is for sure and uh yeah maybe I'm just not wired to be that person maybe that's like the, you know, 14 year old kid in me that was in a special education class all through high school because I had like very severe ADHD and I was just jacked up on Ritalin all the time and I couldn't be controlled. Um, my demeanor is much calmer as an adult, but maybe that's the subconscious going, well, I gotta have my hand in this and I gotta have a little bit of this. And I also got to try this too. Um, but it's, Yeah. It's something that I I talk at length with my wife about it at times. Like, did I spread myself too thin? Did I, did I, by diversifying, did I paint myself into a corner? Because, you know, I'm not the best photographer in the world. I'm not the best writer in the world. I'm not the best announcer in the world. There's people, you know, Salema with announcing, uh, Oli Gagnon with photography, Pat Bridges with writing or whoever it may be that have fully mastered their craft. And I never got that opportunity to fully master my craft. But why would that be better than what you I don't do, know? Than what you do now? That's the question I ask. Yeah, would it be? I don't, I don't think know. I don't
0: think it would. So yeah. this is so interesting, isn't it? Because it's like about it's about drive, isn't it? Yeah, it's about your, it's about like your internal motor fully, like what's pushing you forward. Yeah, and I do because yeah, like from the outside, what you do is as valid as each of the people that you've just described. And, that, and I imagine if we went in that bar, which is basically full of the entire snowboarding industry <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and asked anyone, they'd just be like, what the fuck's he talking? Do you know what I mean? Like I don't think sure. I, no one else thinks you like that. I know that's just what you think of it of you. But I, I, like I say, I empathize with that because that's the same thing that I'm like as well. And like I say, me and Owen talk about this all the time. I know that this is a similar thing for Owen as well. And I'm interested in like, why is it, why is it a problem?
1: Yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. And, and it's, it's probably not. And I get told all the time it's not right. Like I, you know, go announce something for Red Bull and then I go on a street trip and they're like, Oh, we watched you and it was awesome. And I'm like, you don't need to say that. You know, I I know maybe it wasn't that cool. And they're like, no, we're genuinely psyched for you. Like get, get that paycheck and then come shoot some street stuff. Um, no one's ever really said anything that was the opposite of that,
0: but I, I can't, i don't know it's my own but yeah but i think that's probably where you're that doubt that you that you're describing that creative doubt and this is like you know you made a gag before we started talking you were like i'll get on the couch for this you know no it's all (laughs) good i'm I'm down this is a a great conversation but like that's probably the the, that's probably the thing that's driven you to to be here isn't it right if you think about it totally it must be because you because creative work I strongly believe is a lot about ego like it's it, it's a lot about proving who you think you are as a person fully like I don't I, I and you certainly have those single-minded people that appear to not be um, that doesn't appear to be a factor but I think everybody in the world who aspires to creativity it is a little bit about proving who you are to the world
1: every single person on earth has a little bit of ego yeah. Right? At at the very um foundational level of their DNA, they have a little bit of ego. It's ingrained into humanity. And it it's funny you bring that up because I remember you know the circumstances of me getting laid off by Snowboarder Magazine are that's a whole other podcast. But basically, I was living in Salt Lake City uh I think it was. What was the name of the company? Source Interlink maybe? Um, or no, the Enthusiast Network.
0: Yeah, one of the mobs that took it over.
1: <laughs> got purchased by uh, AMI. Yeah, I said Media. this
0: to Hamilton when I did the podcast with him. I just always knew because it'd always be whenever I invoiced, it'd be the new, right. <laughs> it'd be a new form. Fully. Be a new W8. Yeah. You gotta and do a new, new W8. We got taken over again. It's like, <laughs> fucking hell. All right.
1: And at that point in time, I was living in Salt Lake City because I was just so called out. You know, I'm, I like living in the mountains. I'd lived there for 10 plus years and my wife and I wanted to buy a home and um, live in the mountains and start a family. So we moved in with Pat Moore in Salt Lake City, and I remember specifically having a really tough conversation with Bridges. And he, I was like, "I'm moving to Salt Lake City," and Pat was like, "Well, I don't know if I can save your job. If if push comes to shove, yeah. you know, we'll we'll run it as long as we can." And I said, "I don't I don't really care. I'm moving to Salt Lake City." So we moved to Salt Lake. We lived with Pat Moore for a while. <clears throat> My wife and I bought a house. We got pregnant. We had a kid. We like established roots in Salt Lake City. AMI comes in and they acquire or purchase the Enthusiast Network Um, and they had a company-wide policy that everybody had to, which is so crazy to think about now with COVID, everybody had to work in the office every day. Right. And so Pat, you know, called me and said, I know you don't want to move back to Salt Lake or to Southern California, but that's the only way to keep your job. And I flew down there and I got laid off with Hamilton. I was sitting right next to Nick right. and Taylor Boyd. Um, and the ego in me, kind of going back to that. Yeah, I flew home and I got the call from Ride and they, Tanner McCarty at Ride said, we're extending your contract by two years. So I was like, okay, still in it. Yeah. And the ego in me was like, my identity is not Snowboarder Magazine. Yeah. Like you think I'm going to go away? Fuck you. Yeah. Right? Fuck you and fuck David Pecker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you got <laughs> and, and, and maybe that was maybe that was the drive to be like, I'm gonna get more announcing jobs.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I've been in that position as well where I got let go by a, a job that I was really well, I didn't get let go, but I had to leave for a long boring number of reasons. But and yeah, it, it is ego. It fully is, it's definitely like 100 percent. you can't do this to me like. and it was
1: and it was <laughs> it was a year maybe a year and a half until i put my ego aside and to clarify it was never anything against mary and pat and stan and clavin and yosh and huggy and cabin and everybody that came before that nothing personal with them it was the corporation where i was like if if you think i'm just going to disappear and leave snowboarding i'm not ready to do that yet yeah. so i'm going to continue doing what i do and and oddly enough that's when um i got a call from liam right and he was like what's your bandwidth and i was like yeah funny thing
0: yeah it's actually <laughs> a lot it's, it's all right right now <laughs> yeah yeah it's good right now <laughs> so th- let's go but this reminds me of the conversation that we were having the other night when you were telling us the story about the avalanche with with jeremy and mary and the, that whole that whole scenario and i'm not going to get you to recount that story because sure i know you've told that story like a few times but one of the things that i found really fascinating about the way that you told that story was about how much you'd learned it seemed to me and this might be quite presumptuous of me to say this but about your willingness not to be the main voice in that situation fully and 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 that had almost been the main thing that you'd kind of taken from that you know like I don't need to be the loudest voice in certain situations. I don't need to be the leader. No, hell no. You know, because when you have that situation, when it's as bad as it gets, you know, like, and it sounded like that almost surprised you. It fully did. That that was because, because it sounded like to me, like before that you would have assumed you would have been that guy. Yeah. And then when it happened, you weren't that guy. And that was so, I mean, is that again, that's me sort of extrapolating a lot from a little chat we had in the bar the other night, but I kind of came away from that. I thought that's pretty fascinating.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I have absolutely no shame in admitting that, you know, it was when that happened, that was, uh, it was the worst day of my life. I'm sure everybody that was there for that incident can say the same. It was Seth Hewitt and Brock Harris. Right. And when it went down and everybody kind of like rode down to Jeremy and was assessing the situation, I knew Seth was in charge and I knew Brock was in charge. And Brock was on Jeremy and Seth just started, you know, barking orders, not in a bad way, in a, yeah. let's yeah. go. We go we we have to figure this out. This is out. what
0: this situation requires.
1: And myself and everybody else that was there, thankfully, fell in line and did what we needed to do. And I never felt like oh man, I didn't, I should have spoken up or I should have taken charge or anything like that. It was like, no, man, we had to get our friend to safety and we had to find our other friend who was buried, right? And that was a really, uh, that was a big revelation in my life where I'm like, yeah, I don't, I, I, I'm, I've, not to say I'm not a leader, but instinctually I'm not. It's just not in my DNA. I would rather support a team and be part of a team with a leader um, that that assigns tasks and i get get it done and that's kind of why i think pat and i worked so well together yeah because because pat is a leader he's he likes managing people and he's very good at it yeah and he's good at delegating tasks and he's a when pat walks into a room he's a fucking force right he sucks all the air out of the room and people are like oh that's pat bridges And I never wanted to be that. Yeah. I I still don't ever want to be that. And so I think that's why for, you know, 12, 13 years, we coexisted peacefully. Right. You know? Um, And I didn't realize that until that avalanche incident, where I was like, oh, maybe that's just
0: not who I am as a person. Well, there's a lot tied up to your kind of masculinity with that sort of situation. Because as a, a, you, you, you definitely, you know, doing what you do so much backcountry snowboarding like with the amount of s- situations you put yourself in necessarily you kind of imagine like how you will react in these situations and yeah the temptation is to kind of put yourself in the hero role like here you know what i'm saying like of course it is, it, that, that's yeah, a, you daydream it's like, a glib comment but it's like, you,
1: it's like when you're a kid and and you're like oh i want to save the day i want to be the hero yeah you just yeah.
0: kind of put yourself at the center of the picture don't you sure and that's a big part of again like self identity ego like masculinity all those things right. that you only really actually get to face when you face with a situation like this like right. you only get to face the reality of it um and i think a common thing is that people don't really like what they see when when it comes to that but it sounds yeah. like you actually found some kind of relief in that in a way
1: i mean a little bit i i do think there are things i did wrong Right? I think everyone was like, Oh, if I could go back I would have done this differently. But hindsight is twenty twenty. The the ultimate takeaway is that Jeremy was good and Mike was good. And we were out of there. And everything that could have gone wrong did, but everything that we could have done right, we did. Um now <clears throat> if you know, I was in at Brighton and I had a a friend come out and visit and I took him for a tour, uh, out of bounds, and he you know, was from the East coast and we were snowboarding and, and he was like, Oh, let's go up here. And I was like, all right. And he was like, you drop first. And that I was like, no, I'm not dropping first. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I didn't really know how to use a transceiver. So you're going to go first yeah. and then, and the experienced person is going to stay on top. Yeah. And I feel like if something had happened in that situation, I would have reacted a lot differently. But the fact that I was with people who, you know like seth and like jeremy even though he was injured they had so much more backcountry experience than i did that it was okay to step back
0: well that was all the other really fascinating thing i was i found about that story um when you described the way that day went down and it was almost like because you were with other people that you perceived to have more experience and authority than you sure that you perhaps the the, the the collective judgment started to go a bit more askew if that makes sense. And oh you, yeah
1: you 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 um I
0: You so know what I'm getting at. You get comfortable. Yeah.
1: And you're like, man, this you know, this person to me is a superhero. Yeah. So if something goes wrong, I think we're gonna be good. Yeah. Um luckily it something did go wrong and we were good in the long run. But yeah, you just get a little comfortable. Yeah. And you um make a mistake here and there, I guess. But it's
0: fascinating because you lot are all so experienced, you know, in terms of like the, the mechanics of, of, you know, what it's a different thing, isn't it? Like, you know, the mechanics of like running the day and like, you know, what you do in those situations. But when it came to like this, the decisions that were actually going to lead to a perilous situation, this is this this is what it took for you to kind of learn as a group, right? Yeah, and we're ab- talking about the most experienced people in the world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and,
1: and and to be clear too, like we spoke about it. Yeah, and then we knew the situation, and and we were like, okay, if something happens, X, Y, Z. Here are the steps. Yeah. Um we just didn't think it would happen on the scale that it did. Sure. Right? We That's the one thing we, that we couldn't predict. But we had full confidence in the crew. And I would, yeah, I would go in the backcountry with them any day. Yeah, yeah. Of the week.
0: Well, I, re- I really like, you know, the fact you said that you guys, like it's become such a profound experience that, you know, every year you kind of... We like touch base. Marking the day. Yeah,
1: like Jeremy put up a nice little post, like vague post on Instagram yeah. a little heart. And you're like, yeah, it was... It was the shittiest day ever, but in the long run, it's a learning experience. Yeah. That's what life is.
0: And you guys have been working together since to, to kind of, and, and it sounds like those have also been like really important experiences for you.
1: Yeah. I, I, I can't think of a person. It's pretty funny. It's like, like I was talking about today in natural selection. Like I look at those riders differently now. Yeah. Right. I'm not comparing the two situations. I, I understand Do not though. make that. Yeah. Hit. Yeah. Um, I just have more respect for them. Yeah. And growing up, <clears throat> Jeremy was hands down my favorite snowboarder on earth. Yeah. Like he was Superman to me. Um, and JP too. Yeah. But like, uh, I leaned toward Jeremy. I just yeah. related to his snowboarding. Well, it was a tribal thing. Wasn't it? Back then? Yeah. I just loved him. You know. you know, um, when I was a senior in high school, me and two of my friends at 18, maybe 17 years old, we had winter break at school, and somehow convinced my parents to fly to Salt Lake City, <laughs> and we stayed at a hotel just to ride Brighton to try to see Jeremy and JP. We didn't see him. Uh, I wrote a, a chairlift with Tina Bassich, which right. was awesome. Right. Right. Um, but but that's how. Fanatical, I wow, was. Wow, your about. parents
0: sound like fucking legends. <laughs> I
1: mean, they, they've never skied or snowboarded a day in their lives. So they wow. didn't really know what the hell I was doing, you right. know? But yeah, they are, my parents are legends. And that's how fanatical I was about yeah. these people. And to fast forward to working with JP and Jeremy on the guest editor issue of Snowboarder, we became pretty close. And then I went on a couple of shoots with them. And I was like, man, this Jeremy Jones guy is like, he's incredible. He's awesome um and but after that incident after that happened and seeing what he went through and the mental fortitude it took not just to recover but the drive to continue snowboarding at the level that m- mentally stimulates him was like it's like i get like emotional thinking about it um and so yeah uh last winter a couple weeks before natural selection i was at woodward park city Jeremy uh, was working there and uh, he was doing cripplers in the wall ride. And this is probably three years after the, the accident. And he's like, hey, bird, can you get a lens on this? And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll shoot this all day. So I creep in there with a fisheye, and I shoot a couple photos. And um, eventually he accidentally ran into me and I was protecting my camera with my right hand and I put my left hand down and <laughs> dislocated my shoulder.
0: Yeah, which is like a couple of weeks before I right? came. <laughs> it
1: was three weeks before Alaska. Yeah, and not uh,
0: not great timing.
1: Yeah, and and but but Jeremy drove me to the clinic. He actually, Jeremy is the person who reset my shoulder. Right. So I was in there and they were trying to reset it, and Jeremy had seen this so many times that he told the doctor, he's like, "Hey, step aside." Right. And he's like, "T bird, <laughs> lay on your stomach and let it hang." Oh, and when man. I did that. I remember the doctor was staring at Jeremy in disbelief right. that he was telling her to step out of the way. It just clunked back into place and I was good again. Yeah. And like that, right. That's why I trust that person yeah. with, you know, my life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then you did it again in AK. I did do
1: it again in Alaska. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I wasn't a hundred percent and I went up there, got a little cocky, had a nice rag doll and yeah. came out again. Yeah. <laughs> but I rehabbed it all summer and, <clears throat> You know, I actually just the other day I was riding with, uh, Tim Zimmerman, Chad Chomlack and Liam, and we went, uh, into the stash park, you know, to check it out and I kind of turned it on and I took a nice fall and you know, the feeling you get when you're like, you think you're going to puke because you kind of know what's coming. Yeah. I was like, shoulders coming out again. Right. And I, I fell really hard on my shoulder and I popped back up and everything was fine. And I was like, cool. I, I needed that. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I feel more confident now that the PT in fact worked. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, your point you make about having more respect for the riders again from today's, you know, it's something we talked about a lot in commentary, isn't it? And I think it was worth repeating really. A hundred percent. Yeah.
1: My goal is, um, when I announce or when I shoot a photo or when I write about, a snowboarder or whatever I do in the snowboard space is I want to approach it in a way that gives them their due because I know what they do on the day-to-day.
0: Yeah, it seems like that's at the center of the work, basically. Right.
1: That's yeah. what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Every time I call a run, every time I shoot a photo, every time I write a profile piece or yeah. a blurb or whatever it may be.
0: Yeah. Um, and do you think that, as as you you know going back to what you were talking about this core mainstream sort of conundrum yeah. do you think the more you talk about it in the mainstream realm it gets harder to do that because that's always this sort of fear isn't it you know when you because that's the problem with the olympics and i'm not going to turn this into like an olympic conversation because it's been done to death but that is i think the issue that we all have with the olympics isn't it that the riders aren't given the they're just not placed in the correct They're not positioned correctly in the conversation. No, they're they're almost an afterthought, you know, in this, in this, you know, behemoth organization. And I think that's instinctively why we all kind of recoil from it a little bit, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to a certain extent, it's almost like, like they're like a circus act to the machine, right? Um, And the guy running the Ferris wheel at the, at the carnival is making six bucks an hour, but the yeah. guy that owns the carnival is making a couple million dollars a year. And that's, that's why I jumped on with natural selection tour It's because they're it's, it's, it's mainstream. It's global. It's huge, but at its core, it's rider first. Yeah. And, and I, it, I can't really say that. I see that in any other, competitive environment that exists today and that's why i signed on for it like, yeah if x games had hit me up and been like hey do you want to be our content director i guarantee you i would have said no yeah because it doesn't align with my beliefs and my view um but this does so i was like yeah i'm down
0: it's always the conundrum isn't it you know like how you because let's be frank this operation natural selection aspires to the biggest possible audience i mean look at the partners. You know, yeah. like oh, yeah. and look at the production that we're part of. I mean it's not the coreest thing. Right. And and you know, we're we're pitching it at a certain level, aren't we? You know, and I, I completely understand what you that that point you made earlier really kind of made me laugh because the first thing I thought of when I got offered that gig was like I I you know, the core on the shoulder sure. (laughs) you know like sure you're a bit like fuck i don't want to fuck this up yeah you know because because it's like that because that's important but equally you've got a picture in a way that's understandable to the audience that this is trying to attract right and you've got you've got to place the riders and the whole concept and the the culture that we're trying to represent you got to find the position to talk about haven't you a hundred
1: percent and it's funny because when you were approached it it was probably a different view of what this thing was than when i was approached like when i was approached i knew there were big money players coming in because you have to fund something that's this large yeah um but the first thing i got eyes on was like the industry alliance program where it's like we need to involve the core yeah brands on on a foundational level and then we're going up from there because you know a snowboard brand doesn't have the money, a core snowboard brand doesn't have like millions of dollars to work with. No. Right. So you involve them on on the foundational level and then you scale up and you're like, okay, now we're going to these big brands to pay for broadcasting and to pay for satellites and all the stuff that goes into it. So it's like structured properly. Yeah. And that's when that's what I signed on to. And you're, and they're still holding true to it. And you're yeah. like, okay, this can actually work and coexist. It's like a nice merging of, of, core and non-endemic
0: yeah it can it can coexist it can be done yeah it can be done and that's obviously what they try to do here so see travis carter everyone that you mentioned totally so how is your role going to develop do you see this
1: i really i hope so and i think so yeah um right now i'm just so in the thick of it that i'm i'm focused on you know working as the athlete liaison yeah i guess athlete. Not manager, but I'm, I'm the guy that if Liam is like, Hey, I need to get all this info to the athletes, please get it to him quickly. Yeah. I can do that. Um, but Liam also communicates directly with the athletes too. Uh, I'm just kind of emergency backup. Like, Hey, we need you here at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Please fucking be here. Yeah. And, uh, they respond super well to it. And then I, I broadcast the live event in Jackson and I shoot photos, um, at the other events. And uh we do the live live to tape thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I can do a couple stand up hits here and there. But I know the goal is eventually to go live at every single event, yeah. which is when I will switch into kind of broadcaster mode.
0: But it's funny because what you've just described, and you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, like the kind of single minded focus or the kind of plate spinning skill set if you like, you know, like and we talked about like how we grappled with that. Um that is required for what you're doing it is you know yeah. like you you just described a pretty complicated brief yeah. which requires a very very unique set of skills absolutely really there yeah. not any i'm actually struggling to think of anyone that i know in the industry that could do it really you know to like cover it off in the way that the creative side the trust with the riders the kind of comm side you yeah. know having the bigger picture mm-hmm. the vision because certainly that, i mean you know the riders get it but they don't they're not as involved in the in the vision as you are do you know what i mean like so that's that is a unique thing
1: it is unique i've carved out an interesting like little niche in in the snowboard community where i can do those things um but you know it's also it, i have so much help on that side with uh be it tiffany cook or john radoski or nick coldenhoven or Austin Hopkins. Like there's a whole team behind the scenes where for all those rider announcement videos, right. Those come in so fucking quick and it's exhilarating. You're like, Oh, so-and-so confirmed. And then it's like T-Bird hit the ground running, find the photos, find the videos. You know, I put the photos on Google drive, Tiff sorts through them the edits go on a on a google drive to our edit team and and roto and nick and austin like hammer out their edits and it, it's just like it the cog in the machine is set up right now to work very very well yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah um and so it's not just me wearing a ton of hats it's everybody wears yeah. a ton. yeah i hats. mean
0: necessarily in an organization like this it's gonna right it's gonna be like that isn't it yeah, yeah. um well, I'm going to ask you one more because I'm very aware that this is the biggest party of the year. <laughs> it, dude, it's all good. I'm, it's all good. Yeah. Now, this has been great, man. Yeah, 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 it's been
1: awesome. This is like a therapy. Yeah. Session. I well, like it.
0: I'm, I, the, well, the question I've got, the final question is, what ambitions do you have left? And, I'm, and you can't say anything Snowboard related. Because you've talked about creativity. You've talked about... Yeah. You know, it's obviously something that you take seriously and think deeply about. So I'm I'm interested. Well it's like.
1: funny. <laughs> it's really funny you bring this up because my ambitions are uh kind of three pronged, like a fork, right? <clears throat> like I look at and I'm not saying by any means I can do this. Yeah. But I look at what Blotto's doing and blotto has become there's
0: another force in nature he's
1: just a fucking beast yeah I, right? I actually
0: when i meeting him i was like wow
1: i still to this day i'm like wow. when i see him i'm like hey he, i
0: mean i'm gonna try and get him on air because i think you know yeah um that's gonna I, be like one question and then I look, at what blotto's,
1: I look at what blotto's doing and i'm like do i want to try to uh proactively like go on the photo side and do all this really cool shit. Or I look at Salema and I'm like, do I wanna, or Jack Matroni, I'm like, yeah. do I wanna go that route and like try to be a bigger broadcaster? And then, you know, I look at, um, uh, it's long story, but I, I recently uh, reconnected with my college professor who's written like 98 books. And he just sent me a 45,000 page manuscript to a book and I'm reading through it and I'm like, do I, now do I wanna write a fucking book? (laughs) You know, like, do I wanna go work for an agency? Uh, Which is, if you're a Swiss army knife, you're like a huge asset to them. If you can be on camera and shoot photos and and write some copy. Um, But right now where I'm currently at, I'm very happy shooting photos and working for natural selection and i haven't really thought far beyond that uh but i do have a four and a half year old daughter yeah uh named louie yeah yeah and she's growing up quick and up until this first trip that i took this year to jackson um we go snowboarding all the time and i pick her up from school and i drop her off so then the like nine to five idea creeps in like do i want that yeah do i want to be home every day with my family sure Um, ultimately, I guess what the viewers can learn from this is I'm a mental fucking mess. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't really know what my aspirations are. But
0: but that's why this is such an interesting conversation, isn't it? Because like I said, that's the drive, isn't it? Sure. Fully. That is the thing.
1: Yeah. yeah. Once I have that figured out, I will be emotionally (laughs) balanced. I I don't quite know what that is yet. I think right now, shooting photos in the wintertime and working for natural selection, I'm like completely fulfilled because it is a nice life, right? There's not, it's not a big lift in the summertime. Yeah. I get every day with my family. Yeah, I get to see my wife, uh, 24 hours a day and I get to hang out with my daughter and like spend the nice months in Oregon with her. And then unfortunately, you know, I'm gone all winter, which is shitty. Um, but yeah, it is what it is. If I worked a nine to five, I'd only see my daughter on weekends. Yeah. And you'd be, you'd and be, I would
0: have, you'd be craving this life. Yeah. I'd have two weeks of vacation every year. Yeah. You Americans need to sort that out. That's oh, fucking stupid. You don't even get me started on that <laughs> shit. You don't even get me started. I, I was like, whenever I hear that, I'm like two fucking weeks. Yeah. But whereas
1: now it's like, you know, my wife and I, this summer COVID pending, mm. um, we w we want to take my daughter to Europe for a month
0: yeah and well you we, gotta go to italy yeah you yeah, gotta we, go and explore that surname heritage yeah. <laughs> we
1: want to like fly into paris and then just train hop like all over europe and, yeah like, you should do it yeah and i couldn't do that if i had a, a nine to five and and deep down in me i know if i had a nine to five i would be fucking miserable yeah you'd be craving this it, yeah it really wouldn't fulfill me creatively yeah. you know um but yeah i uh, the I don't really know what my future is, but I I do know one thing. I don't think about legacy, you know, like it's something like Pat kind of talked to me about, about who's going to be sitting in that chair being snowboarding historian in 20 years. It's not something I give a shit about.
0: I can't remember who said to me though, that, I mean, you have so many conversations at an event like this, don't you? But I, I, I definitely said to somebody like, what's, why is, why is Travis doing this? And somebody said like legacy basically. Like, I don't know how true you think that is. I think he, I think for Travis, it's just, it's mainly drive. Um, yeah. You can't turn that off.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, you can't turn it off. I think can't he's, turn what he's, got off. he's the most, and, and granted, I, I really don't know Travis super well. We work really well together and I've known him since we started working on this tour, but yeah, we didn't really, I think I went on one trip with him to Eagle Pass when I was at Snowboarder and I'm just fucking blown away at that dude. Mm. He's like the written into his DNA is something that is not written into my DNA.
0: Well, it's not written into many people's DNA. No, it's is not.
1: It? It's a, you know, we, we sensationalize it on the broadcast and we talk about Tom Brady and Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan, but
0: it, Kelly Slater, it's, there's, there's, it's, it's real.
1: There's fucking truth to it's it. It's real. Yeah. For sure. That, that, that dude like changes landscapes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm yeah. going to try and chat to him. Um, I, I did the debrief last year, but I want to chat to him about the NFTs. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that's a good, that's been certainly one of the more controversial aspects of this week, hasn't it? Yeah. And
1: uh, Oh my God, Stan's line today. He dropped an NFT line on the broadcast. Yeah. And Travis was up in a head-to-head against Torstein. And he goes, Torstein's thinking about NFTs and elimination. <laughs> and NFT means not fucking Travis. I liked
0: his line to the energy guy as well. The, the, the very perplexed oh, energy so sponsor. Funny. Yeah. Literally metaphorically, I really like your energy. <laughs> the guy was like, all right,
1: mate. Oh, man, that kid is so he, he sharp. He was on fire today. He was good. He's so sharp. Yeah. And it's funny because I I told Pat that 20 year look back, uh, it could be Stan. Yeah. You know? Um yeah. it could be Danny Davis.
0: Yeah, it'd be it, interesting to see what Danny does. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Danny's going to be in this for the rest of his life. yeah. Like, yeah. there's no question about what it. What a spokesperson he is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And uh yeah, it's it's I don't know. I'm just uh I've always identified as a snowboarder. I I really, really fucking love snowboarding. Like I don't know where in the world I would be had I not found snowboarding. It's almost terrifying to think about. And it's ever since I came into this world and was embraced by this world and accepted by this world, maybe I tried too hard to show it, but I'm, I just really, really, my, my end goal is to show appreciation for this culture because it's, it's everything to me. It's all my friendships. It's, I met my wife at the U S open in 2009, right? Uh, cause she was working for forum at the time. And right. then she was she was done a couple of years later. Um but I just stuck with it because I can't I just like am addicted to the snowboard culture. Yeah. Let's go
0: get a beer. Let's do it. Thanks Tom.
1: That sounds great man. Thanks for having me. I'm like I, I don't know why you chose me, but it's awesome now. No man's great. Yeah.
0: So there you go. That was me and Tom Monterosso, and I hope you enjoyed it. I'm not gonna lie after that chat we went out and got absolutely smashed with everyone at the event so as you might be able to tell from my voice although that's probably also to do with the fact i have been doing a lot of talking this week um I've got a little bit of a fuzzy head today um but that's all right you know been working hard all week all good so housekeeping corner and yeah as I said in the intro what a mad experience this whole thing has been. Um, massive thanks to everybody who's been sending me messages following the event broadcast. Even the guy who got in touch after day one to say that I'd done well, um, but then commenced to critique my entire performance and gave me some advice on how I could sharpen up my presenting game. Funny thing was, this person didn't seem to have any experience of it himself. The internet, eh? He must just know that I love accomplice salt. So thanks for that. But in the meantime, In the main, should I say, every message I got was lovely and supportive and it really helped me get my head around the whole thing. And I'm still digesting the whole surreal experience. Um, Being asked to be involved in Natural Selection, both as a member of the selection committee and then as part of the announcing crew alongside Tom, Salema, Mary Walsh, Jeff Moran, Jack Machani and Stan and Pat Bridges, has been a slightly terrifying but completely brilliant experience. Now, obviously, it's the second year I've been part of the selection Committee, So I'm used to that fairly vast responsibility, but live announcing the biggest event in snowboarding, having never done any live broadcasting or commentating before. Well, yeah, obviously that is quite a different thing. And it did take me a little while to pluck up the courage to accept the invite, to be honest. Uh, I've noticed that's a little bit of a tactic I seem to have in these situations, incidentally, which is to initially turn things down when I get offered them. That's what I did when Liam and Travis asked me to be on the selection committee. And that's what I did here initially but Liam made it pretty clear they all had confidence that I could do it and I'm lucky enough to count experienced old heads like Ed Lee, Tim Ward and Ben Mundy as friends who all told me I'd be fine and an absolute idiot to turn it down so obviously I accepted and from that moment I'm going to be honest I've been pretty far out of my comfort zone both in the lead up to the trip and also while on this trip itself but as I've been saying all along I just thought I'd work hard do my best and learn as much from the experience as possible. Now, it's obviously been brilliant to share this experience with Owen, who was invited to come along with me to work as part of the event crew, um, and who was also feeling much pressure at suddenly being thrown into the ring with the world's greatest snowboarding photographers, people like Tim Zimmerman and Dean Blotto-Grey. And what was funny and revealing in itself was the fact that, obviously, I had no doubts that he would rise to the occasion and thrive, And he felt the same thing about me with the live stuff, which made us kind of both realize that the doubts we were feeling really were in our own heads and we needed to just silence them and try and grasp this incredible opportunity with both hands and ideally try and enjoy it as well. And in that, I was personally massively helped by the incredible team of people that are working out here working extremely hard to create something great for snowboarding. And by the way, they immediately welcomed us into their extended universe. I'm thinking in particular of my fellow announcers, the production crew at Uncle Toads, especially Rima, the producer, who walked me through the whole experience really. And by the trust that the guys at Natural Selection, people like Travis, Liam, Cersei, Carter and Toby, showed in giving me the gig in the first place. Travis has got quite a neat way of handling it actually when people like me get a bit gushy about this type of opportunity which is to say like don't be stupid it's your own fault you made this happen Um, which was said to me a few times when I was being massively British about the whole thing so yeah I just thought I'd try and bury every inch of that and try and own the opportunity as much as possible and much to my surprise I ended up actually enjoying it as well Um, I mean I made sure I was complete I kind of treated it like a the world's most stressful best man speech to be honest I just made sure I was completely prepared I worked really hard with my co-hosts to make sure we had all the topics covered and just tried to help the audience out there understand what was going on as much as possible because make no mistake as we discussed in that conversation what those riders did on that course is about as impressive a feat as you're ever likely to see in any sporting arena I mean the the conditions were just about as challenging as it gets and watching them kind of dial it and then rise to it was pretty awe-inspiring really. Um, But I think the, the main thing is I've just actually loved traveling again and remembering that I am part of this extended family that does care very deeply about this stupid sideways life and who've dedicated their lives to it like me. And that sense of extended family has manifested itself in a lot of really memorable ways. A lot of simple acts of kindness that I'm going to remember for a long time. Whether that was Tom himself sending me a message before we left the UK telling me he loved what I do and couldn't wait to work with me. Which was very generous and really did hit home at the time. Or to our friends Alex Yoda and Hillary Cantu who took an afternoon out of their lives to take me and Owen for a drive through Teton National Park for an amazing picnic, which we'll remember for a long time. That last day in particular was a luminous reminder of the simple pleasures of travel, um, when new and old friends take time out of their lives to make you welcome in a new town. And I guess the whole thing has been a welcome reminder of the important things in life and why travel in itself is a means to an end and a powerful way of reminding you, yeah, what it's all about really. So bit of a gushy one. For me, there, housekeeping corner. I did warn you that I'm quite hungover, but I guess it probably makes a change from my usual ranting snarkiness. Um, thanks for tuning in. I'm going to tick a few more of these off over the next few days and start putting them out. So, uh, yeah, nice one. <laughs>